0: Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Hey, Prosperity Nation. Randy Gage here. Welcome back to another episode of the world-famous, legendary (laughs) Power Prosperity Podcast, which I'm also simulcasting on Prosperity TV this time because it's one of those cool episodes with the cool kids because this is one of the long form ones where i just get to hang out with one of my friends who's just a an amazing person and you get to just eavesdrop in on the conversation so the person is victoria laboam and, and if you If you read Mad Genius, then you already know about her. And uh, if not, I mean, she's an actress, a comedian. She did a one woman show. She studied with the legendary Marcel Marceau. Um, She's just one of those mad, you know, why why did I talk to her in Mad Genius? Because you can't write a book titled Mad Genius without talking to Victoria. That's just, (laughs) it's one of the laws. So, Victoria, welcome.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, Randy, I adore you, and I'm so happy to be here.
0: All right. So, um, you, let's talk about creativity and, and genius, right? Because I think, you know, at the start of the Mad Genius book, I talked about this thin line between genius and insanity. And when you look at comedic geniuses like robin williams um i saw jim carrey in a movie where he uh, a drama where he was just brilliant the same way robin williams was in the whatever that poetry movie was and
1: dead poet society
0: yeah yeah so there's so much talk in the like the the comedy community the writing community i think stephen king if i remember in on writing he talked about his fear could he write after he stopped drinking my fear was after crystal meth could i have my creative genius what is what are your thoughts on just that that juxtaposition of creativity or genius and insanity or you know, losing the edge, or how, because you've done humor, you've done drama, you've done all of that. What do you think is the connection between pain, somebody like Robin Williams, and, you know, that I think you, the sadness that, that probably caused him to take his life probably fueled his genius? I mean, what are your thoughts?
1: Oh, that's that's a big question. I think for each of us it's different. You know, I, I think we all have hidden genius within us. And I think it expresses itself differently. And I think there are different forces that hold us each back, you know, and it could be a mental health challenge, which could actually be a huge asset in some areas of creativity. I think in terms of the societal pressures that are around us, that's a big thing that concerns me. You know, we both see that in the speaking market. We see that in the entrepreneurial market and the marketing industries where people are telling you things that you should or have to do. In fact, you and I were just talking about this before the interview began. You know, it has to be short for people to listen or it has to look this way. And I think those inhibit our genius. You know, a lot of the things that are taken for granted as paths to success actually take us off track from our
0: own original thinking. And what about Victoria Laban? What For me? What threatens her creativity?
1: Uh, well, you know, I, it, it depends on the phase that I'm in. But most recently, it was spending time around a lot of marketers who, here's a specific example. There's something in the marketing world called an avatar, right? Like, who's your avatar? And this is this weird term that came up that everyone takes for granted, which means who's your, quote, target audience? Oh, it's women between ages 35 to 55 who are single mothers. Oh, it's men who are in their 50s who really want to be able to stand around the barbecue table and talk about finance. So I teach finance. Oh, it is, you know, kids just out of college. And so people would always pressure me to define my avatar. And I think, Randy, we're very similar. We speak to all people. You know, my audience is when I do keynotes, sometimes it's nurses, sometimes it's financial advisors, you know, sometimes it's uh, leaders of an organization, sometimes it's women's groups. And so when I was working on a book recently, this book, Risk Forward, you know, people say, well, who's the avatar? Who's the target market? And I remember saying, well, I think it's anyone whose senses that there's something inside of them that they want to bring out and they're in a period of not knowing and it could be on a project or some phase of their life. It could be for minutes or for months, but it's that in-between, and they're they're trying to bring out the best in themselves. I got a really snide comment from someone. who's like, that's not specific enough. You know, my, my son is 13, and he can have that, and, and so, so is someone who's in their 20s or someone who's in their 80s. Well, when I finish this book, I can tell you someone who's in their 20s likes it, Literally, my assistant, who's 23, said, I love this book. And I got uh, an email from a, a text from a famous comedian who's 81 who said, I love this book. And people are in their 40s. So it, it's one of those things, like, you know, my husband says, you know, who, who's an artist as well. I think art appeals to all types of individuals. And I think of myself as an artist more than a marketer. And so I think the marketing mentality, as many things as I value in there has, has had, and I'm glad it didn't, but has had the potential to really hem me in. And I think it's the difference between creating outside in versus inside out.
0: Yeah, I've been trying to speak to the corporate world of the artistry in it that they're not aware of, which you'll know because you were in the book and you read the book. And I talked about my experience with the founder of Swatch And uh, he was we were doing we had done this program together in Central Europe and we were doing a press conference to promote the seminar. And he was like late 70s or 80s or something. And some reporter asked him when he was going to retire. And he looked at this reporter like he had just called his mother a whore. (laughs) And he said, um, entrepreneurs are artists. Ah. And artists never retire. I love it. Yeah. And that just spoke to my soul because I had tried to retire at 40 when I had my first midlife crisis right on schedule. I said, "Okay, I'm retiring. I'm going to raise cars and play softball and drink out of a coconut. (laughs) And I went crazy. And I realized, no, my work is is really important to me. And. Mm -hmm. When I, who was I just was the, I just did an interview for my book the other day and what, oh, so I, no, I was, uh, I was coaching with a client of mine and they were talking about um, if they, they, they work in the corporate arena and then they were asking me if ministers were a good candidate for their product. And I said, absolutely, because uh, ministers have to be entrepreneurs. Ministers have to be content creators, right? They need a new sermon every Sunday, right? And building a church is the same as building a company, mm. and I know because I've built both, right? Um, so you're doing the same as me. You're you're trying to show the corporate world that man, the, the, there's artistic, there's okay. artistry in what you do, and and yeah. you help them. Bring that out. Can you talk about that a little?
1: Absolutely. And I, I, before I do, there's something I want to say because it's a thought that was triggered when you commented on that. Uh, one of the there's a piece of my background, which has been an interesting thread uh, to that topic. So I worked first as an artist, performing artist in all types of disciplines. Then I moved into the corporate speaking world. So as a speaker, like we just said, so working with different companies, PayPal, Starbucks, Microsoft. And then I moved into the entrepreneurial market. And what I found is each market sort of judged the other. So it's like artists are like, oh, corporate, right? And the entrepreneur's like, oh, corporate. Corporate's like, oh, they're artists. And there's this sense of, 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 you know, distance and disdain. And I would literally move between these groups within a matter of 24 hours like I would do a keynote with and I would sit with the president at lunch of some big company and then that night I would have dinner with a famous Hollywood director and I kept looking at the correlation and the connection among these different groups because I thought this is a problem and it's a problem because they don't understand what the other really does so like you said and I teach this to artists I say you know my corporate clients at the highest level are some of the most creative people I know you know they might wear a suit, but you know, they're creative and it's the same thing like artists and entrepreneurs, they're really good at organizing themselves because, you know, as an artist or an entrepreneur, nothing happens unless you make it happen. You can't just clock in and clock out like someone in a cog and a wheel in a corporate market, like you can hide a lot. But as an artist or entrepreneur, your butt's on the line. And so you have to have discipline. And that kind of discipline was what I was so stunned was lacking in the business market. You know, as actors, we worked so hard. You know, you you printing your resume, you're getting it out there, you're, you're banging on the streets and you're going through these auditions. And then I saw a certain laziness in the business corporate world that I hadn't anticipated. So this is where I think there's so much to learn from each other. And to your question about, you know, some of the top business people being creative, yes, you know, when you get to a certain level and whether you're managing or you're thinking through the next steps of your company or you're dealing with this challenge or a problem that needs some creative solutions, uh, they think in lateral ways, they think creatively. I'm amazed at how many of the top executives that I've worked with um, use words like energy or intuition or gut. Yeah, you know, just like, yeah, I, I don't like that person's energy, they'll say. Or yeah, I think instinctively this is the right move. And that instinct is based on years of information. So they're not just making it willy nilly. It's coming from a toolbox of skills. Yeah, and so
0: when we met, um, you were working in the corporate arena with Rock the Room or Rock the Platform, and you were showing them how to communicate better. Right. And I see with this new book and what it seems to be the services you're doing off of it, this, this risk-forward concept. So it looks to me like you kind of evolved on some of the work you're doing with them what are you doing? Kind of explain that, what you're doing with, with organizations now with that risk forward concept, please.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the whole concept of risk forward was born little by little along the way, because one of the things that I struggled with in my life was around, you know, what's the next step and where am I going? And, and yet what I discovered is so many people would say to me, how'd you get to where you are? You know, you have an amazing career and you're doing what you love, but you're making money and you have an incredible marriage and you look like you're fit and healthy. And how did you do it? And I I get that question more than any other question. And so this is the book of sort of finding one's way, but it's, it's through my failures and my experiences in the arts. So I realized as I was traveling around the world, working with executives and companies and entrepreneurs and teaching them Rock the Room, which is the program I have, that they were asking me that or... I had noticed that many of them felt ashamed for not knowing or they revealed that they'd made their success like me, like they'd sort of figured it out as they went. And so I wanted to address that topic because everyone on the surface, and you know this, Randy, from the worlds we operate in, people are like, you know, you got to have clarity, you got to have goals, and you got to be clear, and, you know, what's the plan? And like, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And it screwed me up and it screws up a lot of people. And there's great value to plans and goals and whatnot, but... Like I said in the beginning, what about those times when we're not clear? And the truth is a lot of really successful companies and creative endeavors came through that not knowing. So that's what I wanted to write. And the way I'm working at it with different groups, it depends on who they are. I just spoke to a group of therapists. And therapists are kind of like entrepreneurs because they run their own little practice and how they position themselves and what's their mm-hmm. website and, you know, how do they express their ideas and do they have a, a, a theory or something that they teach and, you know, who, who's doing it what way and what does someone else's business card look like and, you know, are they enough and all of that, even though they're therapists, they have, they have their own little company. So I was working with them on how to think about what they do and how to do it in their own way based on their skills. So that would be that group. With entrepreneurs, uh, you know, it's the same thing. It's what kind of business do you want to run and what's right for you and where are your interests and how do you do it in your own way? It's the same with students. So I'm doing something with students. It's like when you're coming out of college, you're not sure what's next. So the themes that are in this book, Risk Forward, apply different ways to different groups. They're the same, but everyone interprets them based on where they are in their life.
0: Can you speak to the people listening or watching now? Say, okay, that's great, uh, but I'm not an artist, and I'm not an entrepreneur. Um, I just I don't have creativity, or I don't have. Gage is always talking about unleash your genius. I, I don't have any genius. Um, what would you say to those people who wonder how this really, this whole conversation is? deathly relevant to them.
1: Yeah. Well, absolutely. I believe inside of everyone is hidden genius. And it's a matter of, of bringing it out in the smallest of ways. I think sometimes we put this pressure on ourselves like, oh, that means I have to be like Elon Musk and build a huge company and, you know, SpaceX and Tesla. And, you know, there are very few Elon Musks in the world that that will have that kind of discipline and focus and, you know, drive. Uh, But I think we all have hidden genius in different ways. And our best life is when we bring that out. So it's like, how are you when your kids come home? You know, how do you treat the customers at the shop? And how do you bring out the parts of yourself that are different? How do you bring out your playfulness? You know, or, you know, I had a, a client who... It was in a, in a workshop I did. This was not my idea that I gave him, but he shared it. So I take no credit, but, you know, he's a financial advisor. You wouldn't think of a financial advisor as creative, but and he happens to love Ducati motorcycles and he would park his Ducati in his office. So when people came over, they'd be like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, you're a drummer, but you're in sales. You put two drumsticks on your desk. People are like, wow, you're drawing my son drums. Now, of course, we're not visiting other people's offices right now with the pandemic, but when we go back to that, you know, maybe it's in the background, you know, when maybe it's on your wall. So these parts of ourselves, this hidden genius, whether it's your love of Ducati motorcycles or whether it's your love of drumming, those are parts of who you are and we need to bring those out. We tend to hide them because we go, oh, financial advisors don't do that, right? Oh, you know, I got to separate my music from my sales. But what Risking Ford's all about is putting that forward in, in your own way and, and seeing how the world receives it. And it's fun for you and fun for others. So it's about not hiding who we really are and seeing where that leads. And there's stories in this book that I wrote. You know, my sister, I'll tell one. You know, she, she was uh, a teacher. She uh, dropped her teaching career to focus on raising her kids. Um, one evening, she was at home, and they were doing their homework. And she went to the drawer that houses the rulers and the pencils and the homework supplies. And she found a little tiny two-inch by three-inch canvas um, that I'm looking on my desk here because I have – I'll show you something she made. And uh, – and she said, oh, I feel like painting on this little tiny canvas. And right nearby was a photo of her house. So she said, oh, I'll paint the house. And, you know, the shapes were not quite aligned, but that was the first. And then it was actually kind of interesting. And she did another and another. And she has this love of micro things. Like, we, we love tiny things. Like, this is something that we love. This isn't my clock. You know, we love we love little tiny things. My desk is filled here with little tiny things. Um, so <laughs> she started painting these little tiny pocket paintings that literally fit in your pocket. And now she has a whole business called pocket paintings. That's her hidden genius coming out. Oh yeah. But she wouldn't have known that she didn't go to art school, but she kept following the next thing. And I'm going to show you here. She painted this for me on commission. This is, you're going to be blown away when you see this. So anyone who's not able to see right now, uh, you just have to picture this. It is a small, it's about two inches by four inches canvas. Um, this is, uh, this is actually her painting.
0: Wow. See, I just, it looks like a, fo- a photograph, you know? It's the, a, a photograph with just the, at the perfect lighting at the perfect time of day capturing that building.
1: Right, but it's actually a painting. So this has turned into an industry for her. She makes these paintings and I think we have that potential. Uh, whether it's something that we do for a living or whether it's something we do on the side, um, you know, decorating a table for dinner or the way you send out your cards at the holidays or whether it's how you treat your, you know, business or whatever it is. There there are ways that that hidden genius comes out. Um, I think of it like a tree, you know, and so we have this within us, like this life force in a tree. And then we have all these branches and those are just the different ways we express it.
0: Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on something. I'm actually just writing my uh, newsletter for tomorrow where I'm talking about entrepreneurs and artists as one and how we have to forsake the need for attention. And that I would write my books even if nobody read them because I need to write them for me because they tell me what I'm thinking. They force me to organize my thoughts. I've been blessed. You've been blessed. Frank has been blessed. There's three of us who we make money with our art. There are other people that and your sister, nobody would say pocket portraits is a business model, but she might do amazing with it. Right but there are some people who choose some kind of artistic endeavor that isn't going to make them rich. It isn't going to make them famous, but I think they need to do that anyway, even if it means, okay, I'm going to drive Uber eats every night to fund my passion so I can sculpt in the daytime or whatever. What's your thought of that? Because society hasn't done a great job at showing that it values a lot of artists in in many genres.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, the question I often ask is what's the alternative? Uh, If you don't do that, if you don't explore it, even if it's after your nine to five job, like I have a friend who works at a jewelry company, nine to five, but she paints before and after work. Not every day, know, it's, it's hard to do that. But as often as she can, and I think, um, I think of I think of art not only in the traditional sense. And I know you feel the same. It's not just music or dance or painting or photography. I think I think of it as, as a way of of doing things creatively. And you know, I think accountants can be artists. There was a guy at my old building when I had an office downtown. He would load the garbage out onto the street every week for the garbage pickup, and he would make these beautiful piles. I mean, they were so meticulously made. They were these long garbage bin bags. They weren't, you know, your usual Santa Claus-type bundle. They were sort of more like a hot dog or... um, you know, uh, and, and it was just, he would just line them up so beautifully. And it was just, you know, you'd see people walk on the street, kind of take a second glance, like that, that's a beautiful pile of garbage bags. And it was just, you know, it was, he just, he was a sunny guy. His, his, his way of being as the janitor at the building was just this expressive dude. And I, I think of that as, you know, when we're in our flow, and even if we're doing something we don't like, like swiveling out the toilet, you know, or doing the dishes, like, I think it's a presence and a way of mind you know, we're being completely in that moment and just not cursing it and regretting it, but just being like, here I am, you know, because there's something to be learned from everything. You know, it's, it's like Tom Sawyer, you know, painting the fence. And it's just these moments of doing the basics that, that bring out uh, the style of the artist. So you know, I, I think we are definitely in a society that judges people who don't make money. Like my friend says, you know, am I a real artist if I don't make money doing it? Does that, is, is, does that be, is that the designating force for an artist to be able to say you earn your living with it? And I disagree with that completely because look at Picasso. I mean, not Picasso, um, Van Gogh. He died really poor and he's an artist or but there's many, a famous
0: many. Po- famous artist did many. It. Were not famous and wealthy when they were alive. That's for sure.
1: Totally. There's a famous poet. I I when I was in college at Stanford, um, I took, I was a poetry major. That was sort of my major. And there was a poet I learned about, which I love, whom I love, named William Carlos Williams. A famous poet. He was a doctor. He used to write his poems on um, prescription pads. But now that he's gone, that's what he's known for: his poetry, not his medical
0: practice. So, a bonus homework for anybody listening, Jimmy Buffett has a song, I believe the title is A Poet Before His Time. And it's it's just poignant. It's just really poignant and it kind of follows that dynamic. So, you guys listening, that's your extra homework. Well, let's talk about the single most important cre- creativity question in the history of creativity, California or New York?
1: (laughs) And my answer is both.
0: (laughs) Good, because that'd be mine too. It's like there's New York. I don't know if I could live for more than a year in New York City, but I'd love to live there a year at a time. I, you know, if it wasn't the taxes in California are just so insane. It's like, but man, that Southern Cal energy. I'm more, a little more of a San Diego guy than an LA guy. But, um, and then of course my main home is Miami. And I think Miami gives me that East coast, New York vibe, but I also the laid back, you know, margarita, mango, palm tree, Southern Cal kind of vibe. So that's what I think draws me to Miami, yeah. but you, you know, you were both. So any more you you'd say on that?
1: Well, you know, I'm a product of my upbringing because I was born and raised in Manhattan and I left to go to, I went to New Hampshire for high school. Then I went to Stanford in California for college. Then I lived in New Mexico. I lived in Alaska. I lived in Africa. And I came back to New York city specifically for the arts for theater because that's a theater mecca in Manhattan and I studied acting and that led to more work Uh, and then I never really left because I started to build a base here of friends and connections and it was suitable to the industry and then I fell in love with someone who was based here in New York City but in another life I would love to live in Northern California I would love to live in Vancouver. But I think, you know, this is my life now. We actually, my husband and I went and rented a house in Malibu last May. No, what am I saying May? Last January, just before the pandemic hit. So January 2020 to February 2020, we had an incredible house on the coast in Malibu with this view of the ocean. It was stunning. And I thought, I was like, I'm just living out this little part of my life that I didn't think I'd ever get to live but just for five weeks, that, that, by the way, is the beauty of Airbnb. Holy cow. Like we can go live another life and it doesn't even cost that much. Like it's extraordinary what you can do. it That was never as easy as it is now. Like, you can sort of live a whole new life in someone's house. Like I'm going to stay in a ranch house. And it, like the price is not expensive. You get a few friends together. It's amazing what you can do.
0: Yeah. All right. So uh, you mentioned Frank. I'm going to let, let's bring up the elephant in the room. Does Frank know the truth? And for you guys listening who don't know, Victoria is married to Frank Oz, as in, yeah, that Frank Oz. So does does Frank know that if I wasn't gay, you and I would be celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary (laughs) and sending our first... (laughs) our first children off to college That's so funny does he know that or is that still a secret
1: oh that is so funny randy (laughs) um i think it's a secret you know but now it's out now it's out uh that's so sweet of you yeah no i mean i admire you to no end and i'm you know we are we are cut from the same cloth
0: Yeah, and it was was probably like 20 years ago when we met at that NSA event, right?
1: Yeah, totally. And I remember, you know, I have such a vivid memory of you at that time because this is like, this is, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but you were hosting a breakout session and you had all your books that you'd shipped from somewhere, wherever you were living at the time. And they came in like a case. I don't know if it was the prosperity book, the purple one, which I love if anyone has not read that book, that book is awesome with the purple cover. I bought multiple copies and I give them away. Uh, And I saw you in the hall and you were on your way to your breakout session and you were carrying your box of books and you just come from like the main platform. And, and, and I loved it because like, we have this illusion that when you get to a certain level, you don't have to work hard. And it's like, sometimes it takes that, you know, there's certain people like, Frank Sinatra, who said, don't touch the piano, you should always have someone else move the piano. That was his whole thing, right? Famous thing. But sometimes you carry your boxes of books. And we have this illusion that other people don't have to work as hard. And it was just a little sliver into like, look here, here's a guy, Randy Gage, he was just on the main platform. He's like, carrying through the convention hall his box of books (laughs) to go. And I was like, I love it. Like you weren't above it. You did what it took for what maybe you had an assistant who didn't show up, whatever it was, you were carrying the box. And I was like, that is impressive.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Well, so listen, I, uh, Brian Koppelman, who is the writer and I think really the showrunner for Billions on Showtime and yeah. did the movie Rounders and some a bunch of movies. He has a podcast called The Moment and he interviews just brilliant creative people and he recently had on paul williams the songwriter who's now i think he's still president of ascap or whatever and um so they were just talking about everything and and one of the things paul said they were talking about conversations about something and he said yeah the problem was whenever i met with jim henson and frank oz and tried to have a conversation it's like Kermit and Piggy were in the room at the same time. So there was, there was like five of us or six of us having the conversation. Um, So here's my question with you, and then I'm gonna flip it back the other way. Are you, you, do you ever have uh, conversations with Frank and Yoda is in the conversation or one of these characters? Um, does that ever happen when you're talking to him? And then vice versa, when he's talking to you, are there ever characters from your work that jump into the conversation?
1: Yeah. Well, I have a few things to say on that and not to contradict Paul, but um, people like to say that a lot about Frank and Jim and it's not true. Um that, you know, they were themselves, like people always say, oh, do you do like voices, you know, are you in character all the time they there? I can't speak for Jim, I can speak for Frank. No. Um, do
0: they really think they're in character all the time? That's well, or just, that you know,
1: here's the thing, and we, we made a movie, I, I produced a movie. Do you know about the movie that we made, Muppet Guys Talking?
0: I don't know how I didn't know about that, that you did that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So what happened is years ago, when I first met my husband, I was spending time because he was one of these original Muppet performers, right? So his friends, some of them are from that part of his life. And I would sit there at dinners with them or hear overhear conversations. And I thought I shouldn't be the only one witnessing this discussion about creativity or about the characters, how they were born and how a Jim Henson created an amazing culture. So I said, we should film this. Uh, so uh, I, I, I sort of egged it, Frank, and you can see videos on YouTube about this. And he, he's like, oh, who's going to care? No one's going to care. And I said, no, no, this is really important. Because what I'd also discovered is coming from the corporate market, this kind of supportive, uh, joking, playful, but still very serious, hardworking type of environment was unusual, like that combination of listening to each other but prodding each other and you know, goofing around but still being serious. And I thought this is something that a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs could learn from and families, quite frankly. So we got a camera crew together, we rented a loft in Manhattan, we got five of the original performers together, and we filmed for eight hours, them just talking giving each other a hard time, asking each other questions. They learned things about each other's characters and how they were made and where the idea came from that they'd never even heard. They had never in their entire careers done this. Like they'd always been interviewed one-on-one, but they'd never talked just the five of them about their creative process. So it was amazing for them. It was amazing for anyone in the room as we filmed this for eight hours. And then we cut it into a 65-minute documentary film that I co-produced with Frank and our co-producer, Leslie. And I didn't know where this was going. It was a risk forward. I'd never made a movie before like this. No, I didn't grow up watching the Muppets. In fact, we grew up when we weren't allowed to watch television. When I was growing up, we could watch one hour a week of television. That's all. And no. so it was all new to me. And we put this together and everyone's like, what are you going to do with it? And I go, I don't know. I just think it's important to make. This is the risk forward. And we finished it. We submitted it to South by Southwest Film Festival. It got accepted literally the day it was announced because they announced them in January for the festival in March, the New York times reached out to me and they're like, do you have a picture from the set? I was like, Oh my gosh, this little idea I had turned into this huge phenomenon. If you just put into Google Muppet guys talking, you'll see it's all over the place. Variety, Hollywood reporter, the LA times, like it went bananas. And we had this huge success. People loved it. It's about creativity. It's about culture. It's about leadership. It's about the Muppets. And it was this idea that I had. So, one of the myths that, you know, people have and they carry around is that Frank and these other guys would always stay in character. You know, literally <laughs> at lunch break, they would just take the puppet off their arm and they it would be done. You know, it wasn't like there was a whole precious thing to it. At least that's how Frank did it. So I like to debunk those myths.
0: Yeah, but I and I think some of that comes from you hear about De Niro in Raging Bull or right. uh, Meryl Streep in something else. And they just they they take such a strong affinity to their character that sometimes it causes problems when they go home. Like they've been right. 12, 12 hours on the set playing yeah. you know, Kramer versus Kramer or whatever. Uh, so, and it's fascinating. I was, uh, I'm was, i a huge, I think the, the greatest sci-fi show in history is The Expanse. Which started on Sci-Fi and now and then got picked up by Amazon Prime, and I saw a show where the whole show was just the actors talking about what's different between them and their character, and you know that was really insightful. It kind of, you know, like this Wes Chatham says, well, may, probably the main thing different is I'm not a homicidal maniac. <laughs> yeah. My character is, you know, and you get stuff like that. But, you know, it was pretty insightful. The, well, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, you do. I mean, when you're an actor, and I did that for many years, you you do start to embody the character if you're doing it properly. And speaking of myths, one of the greatest myths people have about the acting profession is that it's just about learning lines. Like when I was an actor, people would ask me, how do you learn those lines? As if that was the hardest part. The hardest part is not the technical aspect of memorizing the script. The hardest part, bar none, is embodying the character and really going there. And if you, for example, are playing the character of Medea, who in Greek mythology is the woman who kills her own children to get back at her husband, imagine having to go there psychologically to get into that psychological state where you are so filled with pain and rage that you would murder the people you love the most to get back. I mean, that is a place I would not want to have to go. And it's one of the reasons I stopped acting because when I was preparing for scene work, I'd be, you know, in the backstage and I'd be sobbing and getting to the, I was like, I don't want to go there. You know, it's too much.
0: (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Frank reminded me of something. And by the way, for all you guys listening who say, oh, my God, this is perfect because I have a screenplay. So if I send it to Randy, he will get it to Frank Oz. Or if I, you know, hunt down Victoria, she... no, no, no. It's just going to go delete, okay? You know, people need their privacy, so don't think that's going to happen. When people agree to come on and chat with me, I, I also agree to protect them from that. Okay, but anyway, so I get this uh, message, uh, a DM on Facebook and he says, Randy, you need to go. I think it was Hulu. Go on Hulu and search in and of itself, because I think if you watch this show, you will probably write a blog about it or do a podcast about it or write a whole book about it. And I don't want to tell you anything else, but I think you should do that. Well, I respect the guy. And I was like, and that was so intriguing. And the the title tells you nothing. So I go and I watch the trailer on YouTube. And I say, oh, my God, I've got to watch this right now. So I stop what I'm doing. I go into the living room and I put it on Hulu or wherever it was. And I watch it. And (laughs) then it gets and I'm just. I'm blown away. I have never seen any show like it. There's no way to describe it. And then it says at the end that uh, Frank was a a director, I think. Director, I think director. So I wrote you. Oh, my God, I just watched this show that Frank directed. But, you know, and you you wrote back. Yes. I think you told me. Yes. I saw it 17 times in the theater. Yeah what what would you tell people what do they need to know about that that doc that would you call it a documentary what would you call it it's
1: a tricky term you know there is no term for what that is and that's part of the title in and of itself it's also there's you know i i would say go watch it because the moment you start to put an identity on it you have ruined it and Mm. there is the best experience is not to read reviews or to ask other people what they thought of it, but just say, "Go watch it." And you know, it's interv- It's interesting. Uh, Stephen Colbert, who's the producer, uh, did an interview with Derek, who's the writer, performer, conceptual artist, and Frank, the director. And, and I
0: saw and, that afterward, by the way. And
1: it's like they don't tell you what it is either. You know, because in talking about it, you take away the value. So all I would say is go watch it. It's on Hulu. It's called In and Of Itself. And you can watch the trailer for two minutes if you want to just get a taste of what it's like.
0: Yeah, it's like when I was just I was speaking in Vegas. And so I sent an email to my travel agent. I'm you know, I got Thursday night free. Find me a show I can go to. And she said, okay, the the. I haven't seen it, but everybody says, Oh, by Cirque du Soleil is the best show in Vegas. So I said, okay, get me two tickets. I had no idea what it was about. And it was just, I was in tears at the end of it. It It's just breathtaking. And I was so glad that nobody tried to explain me what it was or anything about it. I just went on the fact that everybody was telling Isabel that this is the best show in Vegas. And... I think for O and in and of itself, they're both that way. It, the more you learn about it, the less it might. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, funny, and- out, I, I, t- I told a friend of mine and a bunch of people, I posted it all over my social media drop what you're doing, go watch this thing. So one of my best buds from Houston uh, wrote me afterward. Well, Ann and I just watched it, and we thought to ourselves, we will never get that 90 minutes back again. (laughs) And I was like, it's so amazing that he had that kind of visceral, whereas everybody else I talked to was just, their minds blown away. I, I mean, talk about creative genius oh yeah oh my gosh
1: yeah but that's actually a good thing to keep in mind for all of us it's like uh there's definitely been frank and i were talking about this with respect to that you know movie people some people don't get it and it's true for anything you know i'm sure you've had this with your work um you know some people rave uh and then other people it doesn't it it's not for them and that's okay you
0: know (laughs) Yeah, you're you're going to experience this soon enough um, because your book is about to come out. And so I just happened to be um, I I was working on for my coaching program. I was going deeper into this topic of you can't look for outside validation. So I said, I'm going to go to Amazon and I'm going to look at the reviews for Mad Genius. And there are these five star reviews this is the seminal book in since the earth's crust cooled. You know, I read this book and I became a billionaire and attracted my wife and cured my cancer. And, you know, the greatest book ever. And then there'd be like a one star one, like what a load of crap. I can't (laughs) believe I read 11 pages of this, this egomaniacal jerk is so big on him. So I, whatever you do, don't buy this book. And it's the same book. You yeah. know, how can know. that Same book have that, but they do. Yeah. And uh, that's just the, uh, you know, it's all in the game, what we do.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully your readers, you're, they're going to love this.
0: Well, let's talk about it deeper. Because um, it's it's really. A piece of art. <laughs> it's a piece of art. And I'm going to, so I'm going to put this out. You can clip this out and quote me. Uh, For all you writers, all you creative types, all of you want to be geniuses, we have this special bookshelf in heaven or Nirvana or someplace that's the exclusive bookshelf for creative geniuses. And it has Twyla Harp books on it. It has The War of Art and some of the other books from Stephen Pressfield on it. It has Morning Pages by Julia Cameron on it. And I'm going out and saying the next book going on that shelf is going to be (laughs) Risk Forward. (laughs) So, uh, Because it's an experience. It's it's one of those very unusual books where you can say, as you do, hey, no, you don't have to read from chapter 1 to 11. If chapters five is speaking to you, start there. If chapter eight is something you want to look at, start there. It really is a, a, it's an all you can eat artistic buffet in my <laughs> eyes. What would you tell the people that are, are uh, about it as the, as the author? What would you tell them?
1: Uh, well, this book um, is very brief. It is very fun to look at a uh, do this little flip through the pages here again just to show you because it is every page is different you know we could do a little again because I went too quickly you can see you just never know what's coming on the page sometimes there are pictures and it's to be read in any order like you said Randy because I'm the kind of person who likes to crack open a book and I also my attention span is fairly short So the chapters are half a page to three pages max. So you can just dive in for five minutes and get something out of it. Some people, however, like to read from front to back. So I constructed it so that it can be read front to back, or you can read it in any order and at any pace. And it's intended to be the kind of book that you come back to after a year or another month, and you see something different because it's principles that offer questions and prompts to help you Figure out the next step. And wherever you are, whatever you're facing, whether it's a creative project or a career choice or, you know, you're working with a team or you're in a change in your life or your marriage or your health and you're trying to figure out the next step, these principles will help you find that next step. And we all have that. We all have that at different phases. And sometimes in the matter of a week, we go through that not knowing multiple times. So it's meant to be a guide. And a supportive, inspiring book, and the people who have read it, which is not many. Randy, you're one of the few uh, at this point because it's still not even officially out at the point that we're doing this interview. Is uh, but it, it can you can buy it now? It's just not officially shipped yet. Is uh, people say I feel so much freer. It feels like I have permission to follow what interests me. It feels like uh, I'm, a friend of mine said he felt like he'd been riding with a seatbelt for 35 years and it had just been taken off. You know, it was a sense of freedom. So yes, it's fun. Every page is different. Uh, it's stimulating. It's whimsical, but it's profound.
0: Yeah. The, uh, for you guys listening, all this stuff will be in the show notes, by the way, I'm going to put a link to the Muppet uh, people talking movie, a link to uh, Derek's show or movie, Um, The book is at riskforward.com forward slash book. So riskforward.com forward slash book. But all of that will be in the show notes, whether you're on the podcast or the YouTube channel. Uh, What do you think um, is there? So I mentioned some of the creative books that really spoke to me. What do you think is the unique element of this book that, Made you write it, like you just say to yourself, There is no book in the world that has X or there is no book in the world that explains how to do ABC What, what kind of was the the driving force that that had you write it?
1: well, I think it was my own suffering that when I was indecisive or when I was in a phase of not knowing that No one seemed to address that. Like when I would go to conferences and, you know, I'm a successful person. And if ever I revealed, like, I'm thinking about this or that, people would look at me like I had leprosy. You know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you got to figure that out. Oh, yeah, you got to get clear. And it just, it was so punitive and it made me feel so bad about myself. But as I went around, the more I talked to people, the more I found I'm not the only one who suffers that. I just happen to be more vocal about it and, and have the courage to talk about it. Most people hide it and i just wanted to draw attention to that because it's something that is part of our human condition but i hadn't seen it really talked about in this way and i thought this is something i can help with because i've been through it well, and i go know
0: go even deeper what what's a topic that that you would talk about that people just uh, were petrified to speak of
1: oh just my angst about not knowing and it was like I, you know, if I'd be like, I just don't know if I should do this or that. They just didn't want to get involved. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought a lot of people have that. And it's this book is not meant to only help people with angst because, you know, it's like <laughs> really successful people are reading this and going, ah, oh, this is helping, you know, or this is affirming. So it's really just about how do we bring out the best in ourselves and how do we not suffer that angst? because most of that angst comes from outside forces that tell us that we should be clear. And what this blows the cover off of is, that's a bunch of BS. Clarity is great, but everyone goes through what is this fog of not knowing. And some of the most admire admirable people, people we admire, found their way to greatness. Like we, speaking of Stephen Pressfield, Um, He just put up on Instagram a little video about how it helped him. How about Risk Forward, my book, helped him. And, you know, he's a brilliant writer who's revered. And he was acknowledging, and we love him for this, right? Randy, you and I both know him, for being so honest. Like, yeah, I was at a a conference that I hosted, and I brought him as a guest speaker to my event. And on stage, in front of the audience, I said to him, "Um, you seem to be very decisive and clear. And I'm curious about that because indecision is one of the things I talk about in one chapter of the book.
0: And he said- By the way, the the theme she goes with is embrace the fog.
1: (laughs) Yeah, embrace it because it's not a bad thing. I mean, just to stay on that for a moment, one of the analogies I give is it's like if you're in a field and it's foggy, the first thing you don't do is run. You don't run because you might hit a rock or a tree. And that's what we do in our lives. You know, when we're in a fa- phase of not knowing, we like grasp for something. We're like, oh, okay, I'll just do that. I'll just marry him. Oh, I'll just do that career. Oh, I'll just say yes. Sure, why not? And that's somehow revered. Like people are like, oh, you're decisive. Yeah. Right?
0: It's true. Yeah. Right? It How good is decision? A, think that's a, you know, and it is good to be decisive, but.
1: But, but after mm-hmm. you've sorted it out, and that's what Stephen said, he said, yeah, I'm decisive on the surface, but after a lot of work below. And this is what I'm bringing to the surface in the book. Like, I've watched some of these top corporate executives who run huge companies, and I watch how they think. And all the outside world sees is the decisiveness. But what I see, and I'm privileged to see, is everything below that that goes into that decision,
0: Yeah, and uh, Stephen wrote an amazing... And you guys know who Stephen is. He's been on the podcast. He's going to be on again, by the way. He has a new book coming out himself. And I'll be chatting with him uh, in a couple of days, as a matter of fact. But he wrote an amazing uh, quote about the book, as well as did some other really brilliant people. And I want you guys to know, these testimonial quotes are really well-deserved. The book is it's like Victoria. It's, it's brilliant, creative genius. And in a way, you know, you, you had to, maybe can you just talk about how you had to risk forward to write the book risk forward?
1: I, I, I love that question. I'm going to just put my head down here for one minute to get my charger. Cause it fell off and I'm at low battery. So hold on.
0: Yes, that's fine. We can live with that. This is what live TV is all about.
1: (laughs) I got my cord and I'm plugging in. So
0: yeah, when you run like Zoom or some of these things, if you unplug for five minutes, they drain so quickly. Yeah, they really do.
1: Yeah. So I'm back. So how did I risk forward to write risk forward? It's a great question. Um, It's sort of meta, right? And it happened on a few levels. So first off, just choosing to write risk forward was a risk forward. And primarily, and many of you listening have, have had this experience in your life where uh, you kind of get known for something and you've built a whatever around that. You know, let's say you're cooking, you're known for your boeuf bourguignon, or you're a, in your career and you write a certain kind of novel, or you run a certain type of business, or you always dress a certain way, or you show up and handle your business in a certain way whatever it is we get used to the success and so for me i would built a big business around something called rock the room what we mentioned earlier randy and i and you know i made a lot of money in rock the room i still do i teach high levels vips i have programs online i run workshops online and now virtually because of the pandemic and when the publisher came to me and said We're interested in doing a book with you. And I said, well, I've got three books. I've got Rock the Room. And I'd pretty much written that because I've been teaching it for so long. And I had a whole workbook. I said, I have the through line, which is based on my keynote of decades. And that's, you know, all these theater principles that I use to work with teams and leaders. Um, Or I have this other book called Risk Forward, (laughs) which uh, I did a TEDx talk on and something that I care about. And I outlined that and they said, which do you want to do? And I said, I want to do risk forward. And I said that, right. It just was what came forward. And then I took a deep breath and I said, "Uh oh, what did I just say? Because, you know, they're like, great, that's the book we want to do. And I went into a tailspin like, oh, what was I thinking? Like I did a whole business and people started to question me like, why are you doing that? And I was like, I don't know. It just felt like the right move. Thankfully, it was, you know, because who would have known the pandemic would have hit? And the book is all about embracing the unknown and unlocking your hidden genius. Perfect timing. And so it it itself is a choice for the book topic. But then the way I constructed it, as we've talked about here, you know, it's creative, it's different. That was a risk. Um, years ago in the 1990s, I was drawing these little figures, designing these little, uh, images, And I'll show you what it looks like here. For anyone who's just listening to the audio, it's a little tiny, tiny character. If you think of like a little box, like almost looks like a robot character. And I drew these characters in the 1990s, and then I trademarked them. In 1993, I got the trademark. And they're called Little Works, and they look like this. And I'll hold it up on the camera so that you can see. It's just a little tiny character here. And um, I illustrated... Throughout the book, these designed characters appear, and they hold up little signs, and they say whimsical comments. They kind of comment on the text. And initially, I wasn't sure if I should put them in because I was going to have photographs in the book, like a picture of the moon and a picture of the stars, a picture of a tree. Um, And I also had the characters, and I couldn't decide between the two, like, should I do that or should I do both? And I had early readers a year ago going through the manuscript, and people said, you know, the photos are cool, but anyone can get photographs and stick them in a book. What makes your book different are your hand-drawn designs. Um, because if I was a photographer, that'd be different, you know, if that was my own art. But it was just, you know, stock photography of cool things. So it's not mine. It's not original. Right. Right. And 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 I put those in, and the risk was, will I be taken seriously? Will it reduce the quality of the profundity of my message? But not at all. It enhances it, and it's that – but balance of whimsy and provoking ideas that is so different and so that was a risk forward. So we'll see Randy. You know there's so much I can't talk about it yet cuz you know there's that ooh it might might go away if I say it but <laughs> there's so many cool things that are coming in related to this book that are blowing my mind that the the people that are reaching out to me and the opportunities that are appearing on my horizon. Holy cow. Holy cow, you couldn't have predicted them and that say this last thing about risking for it. That's what risking for it is. Because people say, what's the plan? Where's that book or project you're going to take you? And when you risk for you don't know. Because as I say in the book, it's a wonderful quote from Melody Hobson, who said it at a dinner party, quoting Ariana Huffington, don't limit yourself to your imagination because the world will bring you more than you can possibly imagine.
0: So here's a question regarding the publisher. I did crazy things with my book Risky is the new safe and sent in the manuscript and the publisher sent back, "Well, this is really a different idea and we've never seen something structured like that and you have these acts and things and we've but this isn't how books are done." And I said, "Yeah, but that's good to hear because this isn't a book it's a rock opera which is what i called it a rock opera and they said oh okay (laughs) and then they did it and then when i was doing mad that was with wiley so when i did mad genius that was with random house which is the biggest publisher in the world right so i had a little there was a thing where i said uh I talked about some negative thing and I joked, but of course I wouldn't know anything about that. And I put three gritted teeth emojis. And you know, didn't think anymore. And I had a few other places in them and I got a call from the publisher, like you have emojis in here. You know, people don't put emojis in books. I'm like, I know, that's why I think it's cool that my book's going to be the first book in the history of the world to have emojis in them because the whole world lives on emojis that there's trading emojis 500 times a day on their phone and they're like but how would we type that i said you you've got to have a contract with stock photo places and stock graphics and an art department are you telling me you can't find three gritted teeth emojis (laughs) And they're like, well, you, you probably would have to get your own service that do that and pay the royalties. And I'm like, whatever has to happen, happen. But I want the damn emojis in the book. Did you get any? I see you are with Hay House. They're very, you know, they're really the, the Catherine Ponder and the spiritual people and everything. So did they buy in on this all the way? Or did you get any? Because your book's really creative, really different. Uh, um it is an experience not it's not a manuscript it's a it's a you know getting in a phone booth with victoria and she just beats the hell out of you until you become creative no um did you get any pushback from them like you know this isn't how books are like with these little figures of yours or were they all in on that
1: they were all in and it's why i went with them um I had had other publishers and agents approach me for years about my book. I'd talk with various publishing houses. Uh, Either they didn't understand what I was trying to do, or they would say things like, well, first you write it, and then we'll see about the illustrations. And the way my mind works is they come together. So, because the some of the, the visuals are actually more important than the words in certain places of the book, because you get it right away from seeing the picture. We won't tell you what those are. You'll see it when you see it. And I'm not being coy. I'm trying to protect the reader experience. It's like when you go to a movie, you don't want someone telling you the best moments of the movie. You want to experience that for the first time. So that's why Randy and I are not saying much, but- There's certain pages that are very experiential and the progression is cinematic at places. And some publishing houses were like, yeah, yeah, no, just write the text and then we'll see about adding visuals. And I was like, no, they come together. You know, they come together. It's like when someone writes a screenplay, they see certain scenes. And of course it maybe changes when they actually have to film it. They can't film in this area, they have to film, but the, the, the ethos of it stays the same. And so Hay House was extraordinary. I love them and they've moved... They have a new division called a business division. So they have done a lot of personal growth, spiritual and health, but they've launched two years ago, a business book division, and they have 12 titles a year. And mine is part business, part personal development, part art and spirituality. So it crosses um, disciplines. And that was my vision for the book. I want it to be across those disciplines and also a gift book. Because I said, it's to be timeless. It's to be treasured. It's a gift people will keep and give to others. They'll buy in multiples. And that's what's happening. People are saying, I'm keeping this. It's timeless. It works for all ages. I've had people say, I'm, I had one woman It touched me so much. She said, I want my daughter to read it. And she's only one and a half.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it.
1: Right. So it's just like because like, it, it, it what it does and why I thought about that a lot. People are getting it for their kids a lot, no matter their ages.
0: You need to throw out all those testimonials from Steve and all those famous people and just put the one. that, says, Isn't that great? my daughter to read it. And she's only a year and a half.
1: <laughs> right. Because it is. I love that, too, because it's about I think it's ultimately what it speaks to is protecting the spirit. Yeah. You know, and helping them honor who they are.
0: All right, I know you're crazy busy doing the book tour. One last question on it. Um, This is the kind of book that kind of screams out to have book clubs, book circles, book masterminds. I mean, as as the maestro who has created the opera or the composition or the whatever, um what do you think of that what would you tell somebody who give give any guidance on, that comes to mind with this idea of doing book circles with it
1: Yeah I love that well we 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 are finding people who've gotten a sneak peek want to buy more and so what we did is we were honoring people who do that because people are buying in sets of 10 and I know that sounds like a lot, but, you know, like a book club or your friends and the people that are close to you, whether it's your team or your family or your friends, you want them having this kind of language because you want them supporting you to risk forward. You want to support them. You start to have the common language. There's certain phrases that are in the book that people then start to use. So we have a special where someone buys 10 books to give to their friends and family we've created a bonus pack for them, which you only get uh, for the next few weeks. So if you're listening to this before March 16th, um, I can't guarantee it'll still be available after March 16th, but it's available up until March 16th. So it's a bonus pack. So you go to riskforward.com forward slash circle for book circle. So riskforward.com forward slash circle. And we have this amazing set and and uh, it's an extraordinary gift. It's the kind of book people will thank you for. I truly truly believe that. And then I'm going to have a risk forward course that runs after sometime in the spring and the summer for people. So we have a whole risk forward community, which by the way, anyone who buys a book comes into my private risk forward Facebook group. Uh, We have a book team and it's awesome. It's awesome because here's what I love about it. One last thing unlike a lot of businesses, and Randy, you'll relate to this, where it's it's competitive, like who has more followers? Because it's a, maybe it's a business book about how to get more followers, or who's lost more weight, and, or who's made more money. There's this kind of subtle competition. Everyone is risking forward in their own way. So everyone's cheering each other on, and it's just a cool, joyous, supportive, fun community. So that's that, riskforward.com forward slash circle if you're buying a lot or riskforwardcom forward slash book. If you just want to buy one or two or three or four, uh, either way, I'm just so, so grateful to have this opportunity to talk with you. One of my favorite people, Randy in the world, and to share all of our creative ideas with your audience.
0: All right. Thank you so much for allowing me to share you with your audience. And, um, You got all the show notes. I have all this stuff, all the details. Uh, But you guys, I'm telling you, you got to get this book. Uh, I know this gal a long time. There are, there are, there is like a Mount Rushmore of creative greats. This lady is on that Mount Rushmore. And when she writes a book about creative genius, you got to get it. So thank you all for watching. Sweet dreams from Miami. Peace, love, and unicorns. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power of Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So, if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, let people know what you think of the Power of Prosperity Podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.